Heavenly Father, we are living in this fallen world with weak bodies and fallen nature, but we know that you are the God who empowers us to face the challenges of life and uh, give us the grace to persevere till the end. And one of the reasons you have given us the church and the gathering of the church and especially the proclamation of your word so that we would be encouraged, ministered, enlightened, and be empowered to live in this world. The short life that we have in this world, that we may focus on Christ and be ministered by your word and uh, be led by the Holy Spirit. Heavenly Father, we pray that you forgive us of our sins, cleanse us by the blood of Christ. You know the state of our hearts, and we pray this morning that you help us to know you more. And if there is anyone here who do not know you, may they come to know you and enjoy your fellowship, enjoy the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, and pray that you please to cover this place, cover our lives and cover our entire being with your presence and we pray that you speak to our hearts and encourage our souls this morning thank you so much for the hope that we have in the lord jesus we are never hopeless in christ and we thank you for your son jesus in the name of our lord and savior jesus christ we offer this prayer with thanksgiving amen amen as we have been journeying through the book of Hebrews, we have landed today in this passage, Hebrews chapter 11, and let me read once again from verse 23, and hearken uh, what the Spirit of the Lord has to speak to our hearts this morning. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents, because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. After Abraham, the second greatest person that we see in the Old Testament, and it goes without saying, Moses. Moses was known as the greatest prophet in the Old Testament. And he was not just the prophet, he was the lawgiver. So much so that he was known as, the, even the law is known as the Mosaic law, the law of Moses. And not only that, we see that in the Holy Bible, Moses was known as the greatest miracle Worker, And I think this passage suffices to understand the greatness of this man of God that we find in Deuteronomy 34 from verses 10 to 12. Deuteronomy 
34 verses 10 to 12 and this is what the word of god describes about moses and there has not arisen a prophet since in israel like moses whom the lord knew face to face none like him for all the signs and the wonders that the lord sent him to do in the land of egypt to pharaoh and to all his servants and to all his land and for all the mighty power and the great deeds of terror that moses did in the sight of all israel no one received this grand testimony renowned words as we see in the life of moses that the lord knew him face to face no prophet arose like the prophet moses and no one did great miracles the way that moses did and then we see here the reason why moses became the person he was because of faith and as i told you last time dear church i would like to remind you once again that these were not special people who were born with extraordinary abilities as i told you that they were men ordinary men in flesh and blood just like you and me if there is any significance about them it is because of their faith it is faith that made them extraordinary and you and also me can receive encouragement from this man of god that if we have faith in god we can live an extraordinary life for the glory and honor of his name there are four lessons that i would like to bring you bring to you from this passage and i would like to ask you to pay careful attention and as i go ahead and bring some beautiful applications from this man i would like to tell you something now hear this carefully can anyone see faith can anyone see faith we all know that faith is invisible no one can see faith faith is unseen but hear this although faith is unseen the acts of faith cannot remain unseen although faith is unseen the acts of faith cannot be unseen in fact the acts are the evidence that you have faith that is one reason why the book of james says in chapter 2 that faith without works is dead faith without works is dead because faith has works faith's acts are visible and if those acts are not there there is no faith it is by looking at the acts that we can be convinced that someone has faith and that is what we see in the life of abel and noah and abraham enoch and now we even see the faith of moses but the very first uh, phrase that we see in verse 23 it doesn't speak about moses's faith but the faith of moses's parents we see in chapter 11 verse 23 and the first factor that i would like to bring to you from this verse is that faith is fearless faith is fearless we see in verse 23 by faith moses 
when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. They hid the child for three months and they were not afraid of the king's edict. They were fearless. They were fearless because they had faith. Now, if you look into the background, we see that uh, in God's sovereign providence, God had led the people of Israel, about 70 persons. When, Moses, when, when Joseph was a prime minister of Egypt, he led these 70 persons to Egypt. And after they had settled in the land of Goshen in Egypt, Joseph passed away. And after Joseph passed away, there arose another pharaoh. And the Bible says that he didn't know who Joseph was and he was greatly concerned about the way the Israelites were growing in numbers. They were increasingly becoming great, multiplying, becoming fruitful in numbers. And they were afraid that they will become a threat to the Egyptians. The Bible tells in Exodus chapter 1 that as a result of annihilating to uh, stop this uh, great multiplication of Israelites, he increased the burdens and labor of these people. And the Bible says that the more he increased the pressure, toil, burdens of the people of Israel, the more they multiplied. And then he decided to do something. He called the midwives, the Hebrew midwives who were helping in the delivery of the babies, and he told his midwives that if you see a male boy is born, kill that person, kill the babies, but let the daughters live. But the Bible declares that the midwives feared God and they let the male boys live. And then Pharaoh came up with another plan and he issued an edict. He wrote a decree that if you see any male children born to Hebrew mothers, throw them into the river Nile. And it is at that time, the Bible tells here in verse 23, it was a very terrifying moment. Imagine the groaning, the crying of the parents as the children were forcibly taken away from the parents and were thrown in the river Nile and the little babies, innocent babies, crying and drowning and dying in the river Nile. It was a terrifying moment for the Hebrew parents. It is at that time the Bible tells about the faith of the parents of Moses. It says here that by faith, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. There are two factors that we see about the parents' faith. The two things. One is, they saw that the child was beautiful. And second, they were not afraid of the king's edict. Although the situation was plightful, they had faith and were not terrified. 
Now, what does it mean when the Bible says here that the child was beautiful? We see that the same thing is related in Exodus chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. It says, similar to what Hebrews chapter 11, verse 23 says, we see that in verse 1. Now, a man from the house of Levi went and took as his wife a Levite woman. We know that in other passages that, that the names were Amram and Jochebed. And then we see that in verse 2, the woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. Hebrews 11, 20 says, 23 says that the child was beautiful. And uh, Exodus 2, verse 2 says that he was a fine child. And in fact, if you see the same narrative mentioned by Stephen in Acts chapter 7, verse 20, it says that at this time when Moses was born, he was beautiful in God's sight. Fine child, beautiful child, and beautiful in God's sight. Now, what does it mean beautiful? All children are beautiful, right? But it is not speaking about the appearance of the beauty. John Calvin gives a very good explanation about this term beauty. He says that the parents of Moses were not induced by his beauty to be touched with pity and save him as men are commonly affected. But there was some sort of mark of excellence to come engraved on the boy which gave promise of something out of the ordinary for him. What he was saying is that there was something remarkable that they believed that this child would become. When it says he was beautiful, they believed that God had some plan through this child. They believed that he was not just to live an ordinary life. God would use him for something greater purpose. So that's the faith that they have in, that they had in the Lord. And also, that is how he was beautiful. It speaks about the grand plan and purposes of God in Moses' life. Now you see the sovereign work of God, which is quite interesting. When you look at uh, how God turned out the events. Moses issued the decree, uh, sorry, Pharaoh issued the decree that uh, the children should be killed, the male boys should be killed. And we see that the mother by faith hid for three months. And also later we also see that she put him in a basket and she put that basket in the reeds of the river Nile. And then Pharaoh's daughter one day comes to take bath. And when she saw the child, she was so attracted. Now, I believe that this is a sovereign work of God even in the life of Pharaoh's daughter. Now, you need to understand and I believe that Pharaoh's daughter was aware of the king's edict. That male children should be killed. And when she saw the child, she should have immediately informed the Pharaoh's army that you see, I saw a male child, Hebrew male child, kill. Or she must have at least thrown the child in the river. And I believe that God had caused her to show favor to this child. And when she was concerned about how and who will feed the milk, and God had even made a provision that the own mother... 
she comes and the sister comes and says that I will bring a Hebrew woman and she will feed the baby. And she pays the mother, which she was so delighted. There is no greater payment than you receive a payment about you loving to do something which you are excited. And we see that she received this payment and at the same time she nurtured. And the Bible says that when Moses grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter and he became her son. And she named him Moses. Now you need to understand this name was given by Pharaoh's daughter. The same Pharaoh who sought to kill Moses. In fact, all the male children, Moses became his grandson. And he became the prince of Egypt. Now that's the sovereign work of God. And what a grand wisdom that we see when we look at uh, the life of Moses. But all this happened because of one thing. Although the sovereign grace of God is there, the work of God is there, we cannot discard the human responsibility. And the human responsibility that we see here is that the parents of Moses had great faiths. And because of their faiths, it had an impact on Moses as well. And my dear brothers and sisters, you know, when we, look about, when we think about some of the great men of God, for example, if you, if you look at, uh, you know, you may think about uh, uh, even in our present time, John Piper or MacArthur. Uh, there are people who are not so great in the sight of the people, but they are great in the sight of God. We think about in the past also Billy Graham. And how many of us know who their parents were? We don't know, right? But you have no idea how these parents might have impacted the lives of these men who became solid men of God. My dear brothers and sisters, some of us may not become such that we may move the generation, impact the generation. But through our faith in God and a bringing of our children, we may raise them to become men that we cannot imagine for God's glory and for the blessing of this generation. I want to ask some questions here. When you look at Moses' parents, you don't see them living in anxiety. You don't see them living in fear and insecurity. We see that these parents had great faith in God, that God will take care of their child. My question this morning to the parents here is that, are we so possessive of our children? Are they too possessive that you think that you are the savior of your children and not God? Do you live in a state of anxiety? Are you afraid of your children's welfare? Or do you have faith in God that my God is able to care for my children? My God is able to fulfill his plans and purposes for my children. Although my children may have some challenging situations and my family condition may not be favorable, but I believe in God because I am not godless. I am not Christless. I am not hopeless. I believe God is able to lead, nourish and lead my children. One thing that we need to know, my dear brothers and sisters, and I believe that this is what 
Moses' parents have felt when they looked at the child that he was beautiful, they believed that God had some plan and purpose for the child. And that child belonged to God, not to them. And one thing we need to understand is that, my dear parents, we are not owners of our children. It is God who is the owner of our children. And let us not act as messiahs of children, but entrust them to the grace of God and be faithful in our responsibility by trusting in God and being an example to our children and bring them up in the grace and mercy of the living God. I love what Warren Wiersbe said here. He said that, Though godly parents cannot pass on their faith as do family traits, they can certainly create an atmosphere of faith at home and be examples to their children. A home should be the first school of faith for a child. A home should be the first school of faith for a child. And let me tell you, brothers and sisters, your faith impacts the condition of your children. Your faith has a significance, influence on your children. And at the same time, I would like to also tell you that your unbelief can also have a detrimental impact on your children. But this passage is not about how to parent. This is especially speaking about the sovereignty of God in the lives of his people in which we have to trust. Do we trust? All these things can only happen if we believe in the sovereignty of God. What is the sovereignty of God? It means that despite all the odds of life, the plots of people, and the helplessness of our situation, God is able to bring his will to fulfillment. God is able to do what he is pleased with. God will do what he decides even if the Pharaoh or all the army of the uh, generation will stand against the purposes of God. None can defeat him and he will fulfill his will, his plans and purposes. And we see that strange thing that the Moses who should be thrown into the river Nile and be killed becomes the prince of Egypt. That's the greatness. That's the wisdom. That's the work. That's the sovereignty of God that we look into the scripture and that should help us to trust in him and be fearless. Brothers and sisters, let me tell you something very important. Faith is fearless. And I love what uh, A.W. Pink says in line with the faith is fearless. Hear this. These are short words, but had a great impact on my mind. And I love the way that he put into the statement. He says that faith and fear are opposites. Faith and fear are opposites. And yet, strange to say, they are often found dwelling within the same breast. And he says that, but where one is dominant... The other is dormant. If faith is dominant, fear is dormant. That is, it is not active. If fear is dominant, faith is dormant. 
my dear brothers and sisters the question that i would like to ask you this morning from this passage is that what is dominant in our hearts what is dominant in our minds is it faith or is it fear and if it is fear i would like to encourage you brothers and sisters know our god that is the sovereign god trust in him believe in him and move by faith in him the second lesson that i would like to bring to you from this passage is that faith embraces suffering than sinful pleasures faith embraces suffering this is the act of faith if you have faith you cannot see faith but you can see the act and the act is that faith is fearless the second thing that you see the act of faith is that faith embraces suffering than sinful pleasures we see that mentioned in verse 24 now this comes to moses by faith moses when he was grown up refused now you need to understand when it says refused it speaks about intentional choice it is not something that happened automatically mindlessly no he intentionally made this choice it says here that he refused to be called the son of pharaoh's daughter verse 25 choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of god than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin now you need to understand that when the when i am saying that faith embraces suffering it means that faith embraces suffering for people the reason he suffered because his focus was on people the reason he refused sinful pleasures because his focus was not on self now there is one thing that we need to understand about sin is this and i love what paul david trip mentions about sin he says that the dna of sin is selfishness the dna of sin is selfishness all sin all sin is rooted in selfishness it is because you want to get something for yourself and you want to indulge in yourself you want to get the pleasure for yourself you want to get the comforts for yourself but if you look at here that moses chose suffering for people over the pleasures of sin now now how is it that the bible says that when he was grown up he refused to be called the son of pharaoh and he chose to be rather mistreated for people how is it that he learned about these things now bible scholars believe that all this happened because when moses's mother was weaning the child until he grew up she taught him about god she taught him about his identity she taught him about the people of israel whom god has chosen for his glory she taught him about godliness and that little time that moses spent with his mother she had such an impact that when moses grew up the bible says that he refused to be called the son of pharaoh's daughter wow what a great impact that she had on moses 
And because of that, the Bible says that he chose rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Now, the Bible there doesn't say that Moses committed any blatant sin. And I'm convinced of what Warren B.S.B. meant when he said what this fleeting pleasures of sin is. Now, hear carefully. When you look at it, you may misunderstand about the fleeting pleasures of sin. What is it here? And I think all of us are prone to commit this sin. We are not, we cannot say that I am not susceptible, vulnerable, open, immune from the sins. VSB says what these pleasures of sins are. The phrase pleasures of sin does not refer only to lust and other gross sins. This is what many of us think about, oh, he refused lust and other gross sins. No, it does not necessarily refer to that. The phrase describes a way of life that we call today successful. The phrase describes what we call today successful, position, prestige, power, wealth, and freedom from problems. You have to think this is what we see that emphasis today. You read all the motivational books. Sometimes I read motivational books, but with utter carefulness. And if you look, if you, if you go to any bookstore, maybe the crossword, not crossway, the crossword is very famous. You go to the mall and go to the motivational and uh, go to the leadership and management books. You know, it's all about self. It's all about self. How you can prosper yourself. How you can make a name for yourself. How you can make comfort for yourself. How can you become materially rich, famous, great, prestigious person. That is what we see, the emphasis. And VSB say that that's what Moses refused. He refused that popular so-called successful life in the world. And he rather focused on being faithful to God and accomplishing his purpose. And what does the Bible say that? It says that he refused sinful pleasures and says that he chose to be mistreated with God's people. Now people must be thinking he is the greatest fool ever existed in the history of the world. That Moses gave up his pleasures in Egypt... And he chose rather to be mistreated. How? The Bible describes in uh, Exodus chapter 2 that one day he saw an Egyptian person mistreating his fellow brother. And it was not his own brother, by the way. He was one among the people, the brother who was mistreated and beaten, persecuted by the Egyptian person. And when he saw him, he was so angry. That my person is being mistreated by the Egyptian. And he immediately takes the action and he kills the Egyptian, buries him, and he lives unknown to any person. But the Bible says that later people come to know and he flees from Egypt to save his life. And this is where we see that because of that person, he, should, he might have just ignored none of my business. Why should I be concerned about my people? I am in a very blessed situation. People just think about this. Think about this carefully. What might have happened if Moses 
had not given up his pleasures and comforts and identity in Egypt to suffer with and for God's people. What might have happened? Just think about this. He might have enjoyed his life as long as he lived. But none of us might have known today who Moses was. His name would have been unknown in the history of the Bible. He might have been one of the most wasted lives in the history of the world. It is because he chose suffering for people over sinful pleasures, God had exalted him. People, I would like to tell you something very important. All men, all great men and women in the history of the world were those people who were concerned for the welfare of others. Who were concerned for the help of others. They denied themselves. They gave up their status. They gave up their pleasures so that they would serve people and be a blessing to them. Cyril has been, Cyril is taking us through the book of Nehemiah. What did we learn from Nehemiah? He was in a very comfortable position in the land of Babylon. Right? He was, in a, he was a cupbearer, had the highest position. Why should he be concerned about what happened to the walls of Jerusalem? Is he not in a good state? Is this not fam- his family was not in a good, comfortable situation? Why should he be bothered? It is because he was bothered. It is because of his love. It is because of his concern for the people of God that God blessed him and honored him. People, let me tell you something that is very important. And most of the people are like this, even in the churches today. A wasted life lives only for oneself. A wasted life is worried only about oneself. A wasted life lives without sacrificing and suffering for the people of God. I would like to ask you, my dear brothers and sisters, what are you choosing in your everyday life? Do you choose to love and serve people? Do you choose to make sacrifices and suffer for them? Or do you make choices for the comforts, only for the comforts of yourself and for your own family? Think about this. Moses must have lived and his family must have lived a comfortable, hedonistic, pleasurable, secure life in Egypt. But he gave that up for the people of God. And the Bible says that in verse 26, you see here what it says. It says in verse 26 that he considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of of Egypt for he was looking to the reward. Now the word considered is very important here. Everything that he made is because of the word considered. Generally we ignore some very special words when we read the Bible and miss some wonderful insights. The Bible says that the reason why he chose to suffer for Christ and for his people, the reason he counted more than the treasures of Egypt because of the word considered. And the Greek word is hegoemai. And you know what it means? The word means that the way you look at things. The way 
you look at things. And let me tell you that many times we have a fantasy perspective the way we look at the material world. But he had a realistic perspective the way he looked at the material world. The Bible says that because he considered, what did he consider? He considered that to suffer for Christ, to suffer for the people of God is greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt for he was looking to the reward. People listen to this carefully, which is important. The way you consider things propels you to make your life choices. The way you look at things leads you to make the choices in life. If you think that career is everything, if you think that materialism is everything, if you think that the comforts of life is everything, that's the choices you make. That's why I titled this sermon, Moses, His Fate and His Choices. He made the choice because he knew, he believed that although temporarily I may suffer, although life is hard, although now the situation may not be so easy, cozy for me, but I know that if I suffer now and choose the suffering for the people of God, for Christ now over the treasures of Egypt, you will be blessed later. He knew that. You know, the worst thing, the worst decisions that we make in life is to get immediate pleasures, immediate comforts, forgetting the future reward. That's how a lot of people make their choices. You know, if you read the Bible, if you read these words clearly, one thing should disturb us. Uh, if one of the things that happen when you read the Bible carefully, if you don't read the Bible carefully, nothing happens to you. But if you read the Bible carefully, you should be disturbed. Because it says here, he considered the reproach of Christ. How is it that Christ comes into the picture here? <laughs> How is it? There was no Christ. He didn't know Christ. Maybe he had the understanding that Messiah will come, a greater prophet than him will arise sometime in the future. Now what does it mean when it says that he considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt? Stephen Cole, a good expository preacher of our time, gives a very good explanation. In order for you to uh, calm down that uh, disturbance, this will, help, this will be helpful. The reproach of Christ is a startling phrase. It probably means reproach similar to what Christ endured when he was despised and rejected by the world. Do you think this is what Christ has done? He gave up his glorious heavenly status in heaven and he became a man, one among us, and he suffered for the sins of people which he need not. He need not have come on earth. He need not have died on the cross. He need not face the rejection and the persecution and the insult and humiliation of people. He must have been comfortable in heaven. But he left his glorious state and he suffered for the sins of people. Moses likewise chose the reproach of Christ. He also gave up his glorious privileges in Egypt. And rather, he suffered for people. 40 years? You know how much he suffered actually? 
it was at the age of 40 that he killed the egyptian and then he ran away to the wilderness in median where he lived for 40 years and after that god confronts him god encounters him and then sends him on a mission to deliver people of israelites from the bondage of egypt and then after that war he faced suffering after suffering suffering after suffering so much so that the people for whom he laid his life they thought about stoning him imagine that the israelites finally decided that their lives are miserable in the wilderness so they thought about killing him and god was so angry that he thought about wiping off the nation of israel but god, but moses intercedes and said the lord please don't do that don't do that remember your name remember what happens to your people what happens to your renowned name he pleads you see how much he was people centered and finally finally he didn't go to the promised land because he was so frustrated by these people that he exploded in anger because of which he lost his entrance into the promised land what life what do you see about this life you see that his whole life was affliction whole life was a failure in the sight of the world but today when we look at him we rejoice and see that what a great man he was and we know that what great reward he has in the lord jesus christ people don't define success by worldly perspective don't define fruitfulness by worldly standards the world has no understanding of what suffering is the world has no grasp of what life is in this world to live a life of sacrifice because the aim of the world is only one thing live for yourself live for yourself live for yourself that's what success is all about but that's not what the holy bible describes to us he gave up all his pleasures for the sake of the living god and the bible says here that because he did this all because he was looking to the reward he was looking to the reward and in greek it means that to fix one's attention on one single object when it says that he was looking his all focus was that on that reward and the reward is not here the reward is eternal dwelling with god in the heavenly city of god which the author of hebrews describes here and uh, i think uh, moses was like the men in the parables that uh, jesus mentioned in matthew chapter 13 verse 44 to 46 hear this what happens if you know the value of the kingdom of god it says here that the kingdom of heaven is like treasures hidden in a field which a man found and covered up then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field why because he knew that the field had some treasures so he sells off everything that he has again the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it only when you know the value of reward that you make great sacrifices in life many of us live a low standard low view christian life is because there is no value of the reward they don't live with eternal perspective 
As I go to the next point, I would like to read the words of Baron Justinian von Wells, who was a German great man of God in the 17th century. And he was the wealthiest person. But he was not known for living his self-indulgent life, but what he did for the people of God. And this is what he said. Hear what he said. Beautiful words. He said that, What is it to me to bear the title well-born when I am born again to Christ? What is it to me to have the title Lord? Because all this he had. What is it to me to have the title Lord when I desire to be a servant of Christ? What is it to be called your grace when I have need of God's grace? All these vanities I will away with and all else I will lay at the feet of my dear Lord Jesus Christ. And no wonder God blessed him, honored him and used him for his glory. The third lesson, the third lesson that we learn from this passage is that faith endures by beholding the invisible. The endurance only comes when you have faith. If people have no patience to suffer in this world, it is because they have no faith. Faith produces patience. And that is what we see in 1127. By faith he left Egypt. Moses left Egypt. Not being afraid of the anger of the king. For he endured as seeing him who is invisible. It says here that he was not afraid of the anger of king. Now as I studied, I saw various opinions and uh, that baffles the reader on uh, what kind of departure is this. Is it the first departure? That Moses fled after killing the Egyptian or the second departure leading the Israelites into Exodus. The grand deliverance of people of God from the bondage of Egypt. I believe that this doesn't point to the first departure. The reason is because Exodus 2.14 says that when Pharaoh came to know that Moses killed Egyptian. It says here, then Moses was afraid. Moses feared. And thought, surely the thing is known. When Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Egypt. I believe that this is pointing to the second departure of Israelites from the bondage of Egypt. Can you, if you have read the book of Exodus, can you see the courage of Moses? How he goes and stands before the king Pharaoh and commands him, let my people go. What boldness he had in challenging Pharaoh, in calling upon ten plagues, in standing boldly before this fearful man on the planet Earth. And finally, he leads people out of the bondage of Egypt with great courage. From where did he get this? Great boldness and courage. The Bible says that for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. It is because he knew God. This is very uh, paradoxical statement. It says that saw the invisible. How can you see something is, that is invisible? You cannot see that which is invisible. So when the Bible says that he saw that which is invisible, listen to this carefully. Faith believes as if it has seen it. Faith believes as if it has seen it and acts as if it has accomplished it. 
Faith believes as if it has seen it and acts as if it has accomplished it. That is what the biblical understanding of faith is. And because of this great faith, the Bible says that he endured. Endurance comes as a result of faith. Without faith, brothers and sisters, there is no, there is no endurance. And let me tell you, we need to endure a lot to survive in this world. Why? Because life is hard. Circumstances are rough. People are not easy to get along with. The devil is ferocious against our faith. The world is alluring and the temptations are so captivating and circumstances are so hard to face it. Until we have faith and patience, we cannot persevere till the end. That is one reason the author of Hebrews is writing to his readers as they were shaken in their faith, encouraging them to stand strong. Don't give up. You know, one of the things that I... One of the verses that I like in the Bible, and if possible, I encourage you, and I think it is possible for you, it is no great hard task, if you can memorize uh, Psalm 16, verse 8. Psalm 16, verse 8, and I think this is what Moses also did. You know what it says? I have set the Lord always before me. Now, God is invisible. What does it mean that you have set the Lord always before me? Having faith in God, focus on God, not on people, not on circumstances, not on the devil, not on self, but on God. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Because God is with me, I will not be shaken. I will not be terrified. I will not be anxious. I will not be fearful. I will not be insecure. Because God is the maker of the heavens and the earth. And have set him always before me. Which is that I always think about him. Focus on him. Devoted to him. And because of that I will not be shaken. Moses was unshaken because he has set the Lord always before him. He saw that which is invisible by faith. He believed in God. My dear brothers and sisters, you cannot endure if you have no faith in the, in the invisible. It is one thing to confess, merely parrot it. I believe in God, but another thing to live and face him and trust him in everyday challenges of life. That's a different thing. Altogether, I love what Dr. Vance Havner, the Bible teacher, says that Moses chose the imperishable because his focus was on the reward, saw the invisible, his faith was on God, and did the impossible, leading people out of the great bondage to the promised land. He chose the imperishable and saw the invisible and accomplished the impossible. You and I have no idea, brothers and sisters, if you have such faith, what God can do through you, if you have faith in God, to live for his glory and use this one and the only life to accomplish his will on earth. Finally, this brings me to the final point. Faith trusts in God's redemption. Faith trusts in God's redemption. In verse 28, we see this is how it ends about Moses. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 28. By faith, he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood 
so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. Shall we all read this together? By faith, he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. When Pharaoh did not let God's people go, we know that Moses, in the name of the Lord, brought plagues upon Egyptians so that through these plagues, Pharaoh would at least let the people of Israelites go. But he didn't let them go. And the final plague that came upon the land of Israel was the killing of the firstborn of the Egyptians. But people of Israelites were also there. The angel of the Lord, who was called the destroyer, was about to destroy the firstborn of the Egyptians. But God didn't want the firstborn of the Israelites to be killed along with the people of Egypt. So what did he do? He made a way for redemption. The redemption was that these people of Israel should kill the male goat or sheep and take the blood of the goat and sprinkle on the doorpost of their houses so that when the destroyer comes and sees the blood sprinkled on the doorpost of the houses would not kill the firstborn of, Egypt, of Israelites but only the firstborn of the Egyptians. Now hear this carefully. Even God had made a way for redemption for the people of Israel. If they had not sprinkled the blood on the doorpost of the houses, even the firstborn of Israelites might have been killed. Now imagine this. Living at that time, what a strange command was that? Strange command. I'm about to kill the firstborn of Egyptians, so you guys do this if you want to be redeemed. If you want to be saved, kill the goat, take the blood and post it and sprinkle it on the doorpost. And in the night when the destroyer comes, your firstborn would not be killed. It was a weird, strange command to Moses and the people of Israel. But they had faith in God and believed what God said is true. Although it didn't make sense to their minds, they obeyed, they trusted, and God honored them and saved the firstborn of the Israelites. Faith, trust in God's redemption. Now here is something insightful, brothers and sisters, that I would like to make. God destroyed the firstborn of Egyptians and saved them and saved the people of Israel by the blood of the lamp. God destroyed the firstborn of Egyptians and saved Israelites by the blood of the lamp. Many centuries later, God destroyed, killed his own firstborn son, the Lord Jesus Christ, in order to save sinners by the blood he shed on the cross. What great redeemer that we find in the Holy Bible. What great redemption that we find in the acts of God. That God did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. The only begotten, the firstborn of all creation, that he laid his life and he killed him. Because of your sin and my sin, he had to die and rise from the dead. 
so that we would be saved from eternal condemnation that we incurred because of sin. My dear brothers and sisters, I would like to bring this application to you from this God's redemption. Is there anyone here who do not yet believe in the redemption of God? For the Israelites, it was the lamb that was offered. And that was a prefigured sacrifice pointing to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ that ultimately God predestined that his son would be killed for the sins and the redemption of people. Dear, listen to this carefully. Egyptians didn't believe any of these things. As a result of it, they lost their firstborn and faced the condemnation. People who have no faith, it doesn't make any sense to them what God's word says. People who have faith in God, it makes great sense what God's word says. If there is there anyone here who do not know this Christ who died for your sin, who rose from the dead, and it is only by believing in the blood that he shed on the cross for the forgiveness of sins that you will be saved from the coming wrath that is destruction upon the world and from the penalty of sin which is the wages of sin. If there is anyone here I would like to encourage you, please repent of your sins and believe in the redemption of Christ and don't harden your heart. And, if there, and, and I believe that many are believers here. And even if believers are here, I want to challenge you, brothers and sisters, do you believe that God is able to keep you safe till the end? That God is able to give you strength to preserve your souls Amidst all the trials and temptations that we face every day. And he is able to lead us safely home. Do you believe that? It's not just enough that we believed in Christ once upon a time for salvation. But you know that everyday life is hard. With, replete with challenges. And we need the redemption of God every day. As we wait for the final redemption of taking us into his eternal home. We need to still Every day, every moment, keep looking to our Redeemer who alone is able to preserve us to stand strong safely till the end. Think about this, what we have learned about the life of Moses, that faith is fearless. Faith chooses to suffer for God's people than sinful pleasures with sinful indulgence. Faith endures by beholding the invisible. And faith trusts in God's redemption. Shall we all stand together and pray? Any Christless person, salvationless person, please, this is a time. Repent and believe in the Lord Jesus. Believe in his redemption and all those who have believed. Think about ourselves, the condition of our hearts. How is the state of our heart? Is it in fear, anxiety, worries, insecurity? Or do we have faith in God that he is able to lead us safely till the end? Shall we all look to the one who is invisible at this moment? And like David, may we set the Lord always before us. Take our eyes off from all the weak circumstances. And trust in the invisible one who is able to save us and lead us safely till the end.
Heavenly Father, how great the art. How great the art that we see in the life of Moses. How you have preserved him. And the one who want to wipe out from the planet earth, you brought him into the palace of Pharaoh. And how you have chosen him to suffer for people of God. And how you have used him for the glory. Although he was seen as a failure in the sight of Egyptians and the people. Lord, he was one of the rarest lives who lived a life of legacy for your glory. In eternity in heaven, he is a stalwart of faith. And a great accomplisher. A life that greatly lived. Oh Lord, we pray. We are not here just to be entertained by hearing about this man. We are here to emulate his life. We are here to imitate his faith. Lord, help us not to waste our lives. Worried about problems like the pagans of the world. Focused on ourselves like the Gentiles of the world. Our life on earth is short. The sufferings are short. The temptations are short. The challenges are short. And which is common for every person who comes into this sinful world. May we not think something strange is happening to us. Lord, may we look beyond this mundane affairs of life. Look beyond the problems that we face. And look to the invisible. Look at the eternal value of your kingdom. Look at the one and the only life that we have to make a remarkable difference in this world. Help us, O oh Lord, not to waste it. Thinking about ourselves, prestige, power, glory, honor, success, prosperity. Lord, may we not be absorbed in the concerns and the pursuits of the world, but know that our life on earth is short. And Jesus died for us and rose from the dead and is coming again to take us to his eternal home. And may we be like these wise men who gave up everything because they found the treasure in the field. And the greatest treasure is Christ. The greatest treasure is the kingdom of Christ. There is no greater treasure than Christ himself. And may we live for the divine, eternal, greatest treasure in this sinful world. And save us, O oh Lord, from all the deceptions, from all those weak considerations. Please to refine us, sanctify us, and help us to live an extraordinary life by trusting in the extraordinary God, by having extraordinary faith in the one who is able to redeem us. Lord, all those who are here who are unsaved, pray that you enlighten them, strike them with conviction of sin and bring them to the cross and save them from perishing in sin. And all those who are saved, Heavenly Father, I entrust them to the work of your grace, to the power of your word, to the sanctification of the Holy Spirit, that you preserve us safely till the end. And help us, O Lord, not to live with a surviving mentality, but with an impacting attitude that we have only one life to live for your glory and to impact our generation. Use us, O Lord. Use us in spite of all the struggles we face, in spite of all the temptations we face, in spite of all the odds and challenges of life, we pray that you use us to live and die for the greatest treasure, Christ Jesus himself. Have mercy on us. 
In the name of our Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to the message. We believe you have been greatly encouraged in your heart. Stephen David also writes articles that are relevant to today's generation. You may read them on his blog www.messageforourage.blogspot.com I repeat www.messageforourage.blogspot.com You may also email him at cstephendavid at gmail.com I repeat c-s-t-e-b-h-e-n-d-a-v-i-d at gmail.com Grace and peace be to you.